The following program is sponsored by Evangelical Life Ministries. Welcome to Engaging Truth, the manifestation of God's Word in the lives of people around us. Join us each week as we explore the impact of His message of spiritual renewal. From the lesson of forgiveness forged in the crucible of divorce, to the message of salvation learned by an executioner from a condemned killer, to the gift of freedom found in the rescue of victims of human trafficking. This is God's Truth in Action. And welcome to another edition of Engaging Truth. I'm your host, Pastor John Kane. With us today on the program, we have the Reverend Dr. Matthew Bean. He's the senior pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church and Child Development Center in North Chesterfield, Virginia. Welcome to the program, man. Thanks. It's great to be here with you guys. So after this uh, lengthy session of COVID uh, and, and people um, having to learn a new normal and perhaps uh, bringing some of the bad history with them, uh, we've experienced some ch changes in churches. And uh, we're talking today about um, a research project uh, evaluating congregations and, um, and their members. So fill us in a little bit on, on that, Matt. Sure. Well, again, it's great to be with you guys. Uh, so um, really, this research project that we're talking about here is an is a, a outcome and a, and a real curiosity for me. Uh, I have been a student of uh, leadership and church leadership and effective leadership practices for about 30 years. Um, and here in Richmond, Virginia, at the congregation I served right before COVID hit, we were about to cross into the 400 threshold in terms of average weekly worship attendance. And one of the things that I know, again, just from my studies over the years, is that when you get to that point, when you cross that 400 threshold in average weekly worship attendance, things happen in the church. Um, and the job of the senior pastor of the congregation in that over 400 space starts to look and feel and act differently than the under 300, uh, under 400 space. Um, and so again, this was right before COVID. I started asking some questions around how does my job need to be different? Um, and so essentially what I did is I started to reach out to congregations that are within our, our Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod body, and to, to study senior pastors of congregations that lead their congregations in that 400 to 600 space, again, to kind of figure out what my new job is going to look like, right? And uh, then to be able to share that with our congregations, leadership, and with our congregation so that also they know what my job looks like and how... From a real practical standpoint, day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month kind of scheduling, how do I need to spend my time in order to be effective in my job here as the senior pastor? And it was really interesting, again, with the COVID experience, because, um, you know, our congregation, many congregations around the United States took a hit in attendance um, throughout, the COVID, uh, throughout the COVID experience. Um, coming out of COVID now, I think the the discoveries of the research project in itself have demonstrated that they really do hold true. Again, whether we are in a post-COVID era, pre-COVID era, or during COVID, I think the the findings of the research project are are still true. So that's been a, kind of an interesting thing to see. So, what was the scope then of of your your research? So, essentially, um, within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Uh, before uh, the before COVID hit, um, I did some work with with our synodical body to try and figure out who fits into this four to six hundred space. Right, who are the congregations that are worshiping between four and six hundred people on an average week? Um, got a bunch of data for, again from our synod and found that 
um, at the time, before COVID again, we had about 6,000 congregations in the Missouri Synod. There were 236 of them that were in that four to 600 space. Think about that for a second. Of the 6,000 congregations, 236 are in that uh, that space of four to 600 uh, people on an average weekend. Um, then I also broke it down into the congregations that are in that four to 600 space and growing, and those that are in the four to 600 space and who are not, who are stagnant or declining. And I found that there are 24 congregations that are growing and in that four to 600 space, and there are 211 that are static or declining, or they didn't give enough data to really uh, be a, a, a you know, valuable in the research project itself. So think about that for a second. 6,000 congregations in the Missouri Synod, and the ones that are 400 to 600 growing, there was about 24 of those congregations. So I, I started out basically by doing a two-step research project in your kind of standard research methodology. I did a survey to the entire 236 congregations that are in that four to 600 space and then I uh, did on-site interviews with senior pastors from 10 of those congregations, five that were in the growing sector and then five that were in the not growing sector, did some comparison of those senior pastors. So it was really fascinating to see the outcomes that happened as you compare the growing churches and the ones that are not. So you started with the statistics of who has how many members attending, and then also then you you get into all of the other things about relationships and the, right. the effectiveness of the scale of the size of the organization. I think it was right. Lyle Schaller that yep. wrote a book on that and characterizing uh, congregations across the board, you know, right. depending on how, how big their staff was, how many members were attending, and uh, the personality that each yep. takes. And, and for us in the Lutheran Church, we tended to stay small. Uh, you know, we don't have a whole lot of uh, background in, let's say, megachurches because we've been intentional about retaining a certain ratio of pastor to uh, congregant and, and retaining a, a closeness, a familial closeness in in uh, relationship. So you, you talk about broadening this across the nation, apparently. Uh, looking at all of the the congregations of this size, so what were some of the takeaways? So essentially, there were um, four major takeaways from the research project itself, and I think these takeaways can be applied whether you're talking about a Missouri Synod congregation or whether you're talking about any other denomination, right? I think this is really, um, you know, about effective leadership, and leaders are leaders, are leaders, are leaders, and they lead. You know, people that are good leaders are going to be good leaders, right? Um, and so the the four major takeaways were simply this. The first takeaway was um, really about strategy. Um, and and again, the focus of the research project is the senior pastor and their relationship to the congregation, right? So how do the senior pastors function on a day to day, week to week, month to month basis, right? So the first thing that came out of the research was strategy, 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 strategy. The the lead congregations in this four to hundred, four to six hundred space. They roll out of bed thinking, what do I need to do to reach our congregation's strategic priorities and outcomes? What are the things that that the staff and me and our key leaders in this congregation need to be doing to, to move the needle in terms of growing God's kingdom? And they roll out of bed just thinking about that. Um and um and they just they focus on the the major things 
to, to move the needle forward in the congregation. So strategy is first, right? What are those strategic priorities and how do we organize our time to go about accomplishing those strategic priorities? And, and one of the interesting things about this one is a little bit of an aside is it really doesn't matter what those strategic priorities are. Different congregations that are those lead congregations that are four to 600 space, they articulate their strategic priorities, their big picture priorities in different ways. So there's not one strategic priority that kind of serves everybody. They, they articulate those strategic priorities based upon their context, based upon what's going on in their congregation. But again, these guys roll out of bed and they think to themselves, how can I work today and this week and this month to move the needle forward in accomplishing these strategic priorities for us as a congregation. So that's first. Second is culture. In other words, uh, senior pastors of these lead congregations, again, they start to talk about and think about cultural expressions for their ministry. In other words, um, they ask this question, what do I want, what do we want people to experience here in this congregation? Things like vibrant spirituality or generosity or fun or, um, you know, uh, you know, important relations, relationships, right? Those kinds of things, right? They think to themselves, what do we want people to experience when they walk onto this campus for the very first time or maybe for the 500th time? What should people be experiencing? What kind of culture do we want to create here? And part of that is our history. What's our DNA? But then part of that is also, where do we want to go? Where do we want this congregation to be moving in the future, right? So those cultural questions, those experiential questions are, are really, really important as well. So the, again, the first is, is strategy, strategy, strategy. The second is culture, culture, culture. The third one, which was interesting from my perspective and completely unex unexpected, is that the, the senior pastors of congregations that are in the lead group, right? The, the 24 congregations that are in that lead group. When it comes to teaching and uh, the teaching task, teaching Bible classes, teaching confirmation, teaching adult classes, has an inverse relationship with the amount of time that they're spending with their staff. In other words, if when you look at the lead congregations, right, those 24 lead congregations, and you compare them with the 211 congregations that are not growing, they're static or declining. The senior pastors of the lead congregation spend twice as much time developing their staff and their key leaders as the comparison congregations do and the senior pastors for the comparison congregations do. But then when you compare um, the, those with the amount of time that they spend teaching in the teaching task, preparing for Bible classes, teaching Bible classes, the senior pastors of lead congregations spend about half as much time teaching and working on the teaching task as those pastors that are in comparison congregations. Okay, and so what I, what I mean by that is, um, again, you you compare their day to day, week to week, month to month schedule, and again, you're going to see lead congregations spending more time developing their staff spiritually, relationally, professionally, personally just pouring time in their staff. In fact, they spend about two to three days every week just pouring time into their staff to make sure that the congregation is meeting the strategic and cultural priorities that they've talked about versus guys that are in the comparison group. They spend less time with their staff and they spend more time teaching. And that was a tough one for me. And I'll tell you why, because I love teaching. 
I love spending time in front of a classroom and teaching adults and teaching kids. I love that. But there was a part of me that as, a start, as we started to get into that 400 space, I was facing burnout because I was spending so much time teaching at the same time that I recognized that the staff and me here at Redeemer, that we had to be focusing on our strategic outcomes. And I recognized I don't have time to do both. And so for me and for us here at Redeemer and for our staff, we recognized we just need to reorient how we're doing things. And I need to bring people on and develop people here who are going to be doing the teaching tasks so that I can focus on the strategic tasks. Because at the end of the day, it's the strategic tasks and the and the, the cultural tasks that are going to continue to move Redeemer forward. If I spend all my time teaching, I'm not going to have time to do the other stuff. So that was the third thing. So again, it's strategy, 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 culture, culture, culture. Third is how do I spend my time? And I recognize I've got to spend more time in strategy than I do in the teaching task here at our church. And then the fourth one really is about who am I spending my time with, not just my staff, but with people that are um, in kind of on the periphery here at Redeemer. Uh, so let me give you a, a little bit of an example. At Redeemer, we've got a child development center, a preschool that has got 200 kids in it. It's got 150 households represented, and two-thirds of those do not have a connection to any church whatsoever. That's 100 households that don't have a connection to a church. That's a major ministry opportunity, strategic opportunity that God has given to us here at Redeemer. And so I recognize that one of the big things that I need to be doing here and the, 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 the senior staff we need to be doing here at Redeemer is spending time building bridges with the people that are not in our membership yet. And every day, I'm sorry, every week, we need to be spending time with somebody who is not in our membership. And so myself, our associate pastor, and a couple of other staff members that we have here, we talk every week about people that we're engaging with, building bridges with, that are not yet a part of our ministry here in order to build bridges with them and, and essentially to help them grow in their faith. Because if we want our church to be doing that and to be building bridges with people that are not yet in the faith, then we better make sure that we're doing that as well. And so again, it's about um, it's about how, who are we spending our time with that are outside of our uh, our membership here. I'll tell you this. Um, uh, one of the really interesting things about the research project that I did is I asked, um, again, the, I asked the same question to these 236 church, uh, pastors that are leading these churches. About 80% of these senior pastors have some kind of school ministry. And for the most part, every one of them said the most important factor in a member of our school or preschool or child development center, the most important factor in them joining the church is the relationship that they have with a staff member, with the senior pastor or the pastoral staff. And yet, one of the big differences between lead congregations and comparison congregations was that the lead congregations made it an intentional, deliberate thing that they did every week or every month, going to spend some time with people that are in their preschool, their school, their child development center ministry in order to bridge those relational gaps. The comparison pastors knew that that was important, that they had to do that, and that the most important factor for people that were uh, not going to church to come to be a part of their congregation, they recognized the most important factor was that relationship, and yet they just didn't have enough time in their calendar to make those relational bonds happen. 
My estimation is, I didn't ask this question, but my estimation is that those pastors of comparison congregations are so busy with their teaching tasks. They're spending so much time preparing for classes, teaching Bible classes, that they don't have enough time to go out and to to build those relationships with people that are outside of the congregation. Uh, they just don't have the time. They know it's important. They want to be do it. Uh, but yet there's a lot of guilt that came through in the questions that I had uh, because, uh, again, they just didn't have time to do it. So, again, for us, it's strategy, it's culture, it's how is the senior pastor spending time with equipping staff? And then lastly, it's who am I spending time with that are outside of the membership here at Redeemer? So, uh, again, I think those are the four major takeaways of this research project. Strategy, strategy, strategy. Culture, culture, culture. Equip, 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 and particularly equip the senior staff and the key volunteers within the congregation to actually accomplish the work of the ministry. And then as a shepherd, who am I spending time with that is outside of the the main focus of this congregation, the membership of this congregation? So those are the, really the four takeaways from the research project. And I think you can probably apply that to uh, any denomination and any um, any congregation of any worship size, uh, but also I think you know the 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 theme or the tenor of any organization, even in the business world, is set by the guy at the top. Yep. Um, and I, I it, as you're talking about this, it struck me that there's an ego aspect also, or a control aspect, perhaps that uh, maybe pastors need to evaluate and and let some stuff go. It also occurred to me that, you know, you're talking that uh, Moses' uh, father-in-law, Jethro, had to sit him down, have that exact same talk with him, that you can't do it all. Yeah. And um, for the sake of uh, the whole people of God, he needed to equip pass and some of that load, and, equip others, yeah, pass some sure. of that load over and, and share the responsibilities. Yep. Absolutely. So, so do you have any um, any stories you can tell us about people who have successfully made the transition? <laughs> well, this is this is a real interesting thing because um, <laughs> the, there are some troubling things about the data that I got. So, for instance, um, the number of again, we're talking before COVID, right? The number of congregations that have moved from the five hundreds down into the 400s was troubling, right? Um, and the number of congregations that actually moved from the 300s into the 400s, guess how many of those there were? Zero. Yeah. So um, it, it does kind of speak to the, the thing that we are contemplating here at our congregation is a rather significant thing, right? We are taking a church from the 300s and by God's blessing, and only by God's blessing, uh, we are seeing growth here into that area of the 400s, right? And and God willing, over, uh, past COVID, right, we are going to get into that space within the next couple of years, right? We'll get back to where we were before COVID. Um, and and so one, one of the big kind of surprising stories was that there's not a lot of churches that do this. Mm-hmm. Another one of the big surprising stories was, um, you know, as I was visiting different congregations, for example, the a congregation in Buckeye, Arizona, a congregation in Temecula, California, other congregations that are in kind of hot, really growing areas. 
the question came to my head pretty quickly. Are these churches only growing because they're in hot growing areas? And so I started to ask some other questions. And as I, as I was thinking through the questions, um, yes, about two thirds of the congregations that are in those lead congregation areas, the, the 24 are in growing areas, but a third of them are not. And here's the interesting story. A third of the congregations that are growing are in geographical settings that are actually static or in decline. Think about that for a second. A third of the congregations that are growing are in geographic settings that are stable or declining. Redeemer is in that setting, right? We are in a, a, a neighborhood that was developed in the 1970s and 80s. That's generally static and aging and declining. And so for us, there is a real message of hope here mm -hmm. that God can do incredible things, even in um, even even in the setting. What we realized is it is much more important to have defined strategic and cultural priorities than it is to be in a growing context. Okay, um, that was one of the big lessons and takeaways from this: is that a congregation that has strategy, 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 and culture, 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 can grow no matter the context. Um, and that was a real blessing to us. And and by God's grace, as we continue to move out of COVID, I think we will become even more focused on those two areas. So if you, uh, one of our listeners is a person of the pew and they want to encourage their congregational uh, leadership, uh, what what would be some first steps? You see, uh, you talk about the strategy. Uh, mm -hmm. I've heard it said, if you, uh, if you don't have a target, you're sure to hit it. But... Um, you know, certainly with strategy, uh, charting the course for the future, mm -hmm. uh, if if you were to rank some of these things, is that where you would start? So Peter Drucker tells the story about every time, I think it was Peter Drucker. I think it was Peter Drucker. He, he, you know, every time that he used to walk around and visit an organization, he would walk around and he would talk to senior leadership and he would talk to administrative people and he would talk to people that were working on the line and he would ask one question. You know what the one question was? What was that? What's your job? Yeah. What's your job? And the really well-run organizations are the organizations that everybody knew what their job was, from the most senior leadership down to the people that are working on the line. Everybody knew what their job was. If I was a person sitting in the pew, and if, if I was trying to encourage my congregation's leadership to think about these kinds of effective leadership questions, that would be the question I would ask. What's our job? Because a lot of churches get wrapped up in paying the bills and making sure that the budget is good and making sure that, um, you know, that that the capital expenditures are well taken care of and all that kind of stuff, right? We, we, we do a really good job at getting trains that are fueled and good looking good and on the right tracks and all that kind of stuff and, and that they're that they're just humming they're paid for right but if we have trains that are going to the wrong place if we don't know what our job is i don't think that's real good use of the gifts that god has given to us we'll come back to our guest in just one second i'd like to point our listeners to our 
website for our uh, radio program, elmhouston.org. There on our website, you can find uh, past programming. You can find out more about us. You can mail us at our P.O. Box 568 Cypress, Texas 77410. Or you can jump to our uh, YouTube and Twitter and Facebook accounts and uh, find out more about us. You can also donate to us online. All of our on-air hosts are volunteers, so your donations go far to help us purchase radio airtime. Now back to uh, our guest. Matt, uh, do you have uh, a way for people to contact you if they have more interest in your study? Sure. Uh, my email address is mbean, just like the vegetable, B-E-A-N, at redeemerric.org. mbean at redeemerric.org. was very hopeful that uh, as people pay attention to business, so to speak, uh, the Lord will bless and uh, pray blessings on you and your congregation and encourage our listeners to join us again real soon for another edition of Engaging Truth. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to this broadcast of Engaging Truth. Be sure to join us each week at this time. To help support our ministry, contact Evangelical Life Ministries, Post Office Box 568, Cypress, Texas 77410, or visit our website at elmhouston.org or find us on Facebook at Evangelical Life Ministries. Thank you.